0: Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Of, am I doing it right? That question, am I doing it right? It's a way of getting at The small daily things that we do, the small daily things that we say and think or don't do and say and think. And those small things accumulate over time and they either pull us forward on our journeys or they draw us back. So we've asked, am I doing the cynical thing right? Am I doing people, especially the deeper relationships, doing that right? And in the last three weeks, what about this praying for thing? We saw how many of us have given up on the practice, given up on praying for. We talked about why we have. We talked about the story that we have told ourselves about the practice. But most of the time in that lesson, we spent asking the question, is there a baby in there with the bath wash that we've thrown out? So I suggested a framing narrative, uh, some rough draft ideas on how we might think differently about praying for if we live as we do in an everything is connected worldview. Uh, But the lesson was mostly big picture stuff. Uh, It got really echoey in here. Uh, Thinking patterns that could gain us the benefits of the practice, but allow us to have an integrated worldview. So if you missed, I would encourage you to have a listen online. But what I've said in these lessons, even what we've discussed together afterward, that's a long, long way from actually having a praying for practice. So our approach in this long journey that we've had together as a community, rethinking the basics, the most fundamental parts of our religion, uh, the next thing, if we are to follow our pattern, isn't going to happen in a Sunday lesson from me. The next thing can't be me telling you how it should be done. The next thing is going to be a working group. The The next thing is going to be me giving a group of people some material to read Uh, doing some framing stuff together, but then the next thing is us working together to try stuff out, to look for the not life there kinds of experiences and the, ooh, yes, life there experiences, to find out what's cringy and to find out what gives us peace. That's how we've approached this journey on all the things that we've worked on together. So that's today. I'm asking you, what do you think? want to do that. It would be some reading. It would be some thinking together, probably another chat group on the app, occasional Zooms for us to do together. And then we would find some guinea pigs in the congregation who would let us pray for them. And then we would get feedback from, and we would ask the questions. And then we'd get feedback from the community and we would find our way forward. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, go to the clipboard. And go to the Help Us Rethink prayer and fill that in. You can do that right now where you're sitting in case you want to do that so you don't forget. Okay, today we are going to be asking ourselves, am I doing meditation right? And I hope you've picked up the message here in the community. I hope you've picked it up that if you're doing meditation, yes, you are doing it right. Because you can't get this practice wrong. Uh, you, uh, you just, the only way to get it wrong is to not show up and do it. So today's questions are going to be more getting at how to help us. Um, well, we're going to be thinking about why we don't. Why we are not steady in our practice. And what, is a way, what are ways that we could uh, help one another be more consistent, more steady in our practice. So we're going to explore our interior resistance. It's a little bit of a uh, self-awareness kind of probe that we'll do today. Because most of us think it's a good idea and yet steadiness is still a challenge. So why is it that we would have that dissonance inside of ourselves? So if you uh, see the questions, be thinking about them as the lesson's going on, and we will talk about them when we finish. And I really do hope that you will talk about them at home. And remember the pilot group, we're gonna try it out, doing it in person on March 20th and 27th, please participate in that. So I mentioned a moment ago that what we call mindfulness is actually an ancient practice in our spiritual tradition. Now, it is part of our spiritual tradition, but it's also psychological. You might have heard of MBSR, mind-body stress reduction. It's also Zen. It's also part of several spiritual traditions. But in our tradition, if you Google this term, the rule of Benedict, you're going to learn about the monastic communities in the 400s. You're also going to learn about them making a practice, Lectio Divina, a core part of the spiritual tradition. Ah, well, that's next come up. Well, they got Lectio Divina from a place. And the place they got it from was you might want to also Google and learn about the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers because they were the spiritual refugees that left Rome after Rome had co-opted Christianity, after Rome had made it a form of conformity so that we were more about power and control than we were about thriving souls. So they were the refugees that went to the desert afterwards to hammer out a healthier way to be spiritual. So you might want to Google them as well. It's great stuff to learn about. Their wisdom their practices became what we call our own contemplative tradition and Lectio Divina is right at the corner, the cornerstone of that contemplative tradition. So it's a practice that happens in four movements. Um, Movement one is we read. That's what Lectio means in Latin. That's how old this practice is. The words are still in Latin. So often when we lectio, when we read, we read a sacred text, but you can also read a tree. You can also read a creek or a bird on your back porch, which is why the term is also there, visio divina, which means divine seeing or divine gazing. So movement one, we read or we gaze. Movement two, we cogitate. We think about stuff. We reflect and we mull over, we stop and think, we stop and consider, we stop and imagine. Movement three, we speak our prayers out loud because the the desert fathers and mothers understood the power of words to galvanize our focus, the power of words to galvanize our attention. So we speak or we write our prayers triggered by what we have read, by what we have reflected on, what we've been thinking about. In the course of doing that, we now then galvanize our focus and write or speak our prayers. We articulate a desire maybe, or we articulate an insight. Maybe it would be a fear that we long to overcome. Maybe it would be an action that we regret and want to change. Then movement four, we get quiet. We practice the prayer of silence, moving from silent bodies, moving toward more silent minds. I read a monastic author once who said that silence is God's primary language and everything else is a poor translation. Now, we often practice that fourth movement, contemplatio, or the prayer of silence. We practice it on its own we would call it mindfulness practice. Some call it centering prayer. And we do that because for the last 500 years in the West, that has been the one that's been the most neglected. But it's also perhaps the most potent antidote we have to what ails the ego soul. Because we call them thoughts. Uh, we call them feelings, and they are thoughts, and they are feelings, they are those. But if we stand back a little bit, they are actually much more than we attribute to them. I've had two conversations this week with people who are very, very nice. They woke up, woke up as young children, just able, knowing how to do nice. And as nice will do, nice worked for them as nice will do, it got them feedback from the world because the world would then say back to them, hey, you're nice, we like you. Uh, So here, have a little bit of approval. So here, have a little bit of affection, not like your troublemaker brother, uh, you, you're the good one. Nice works. And when that happens, when something works, the die has been cast. Because now we don't just do nice, we become nice nice. We don't offer nice because nice is needed. We become nice and actually develop a compulsion for niceness because it has become a way that we make the world work for us. And so rather than the world needing our nice as a gift that we give, we need to be nice so that we can make the world work. Nice works, so we work it. Now, other people wake up with a natural aptitude for knowing how to get busy and get ahead. And so they work that system. Other people wake up knowing how to push through and be tenacious and get stuff done. Other people seem to come into the world with the capacity to notice the details that other people miss, hold on to those details and make sure those details get taken care of. Others come into the world being able to entertain. They become entertainers. There is something that we latch on to early on. Now, by the way, this is why we study the Enneagram. This is why we do the self-awareness questions. We're trying to understand what it is that we latched on to. And here's the thing about our thoughts. Yes, they are just thoughts. Here's the thing about our feelings. Yes, they are just feelings. But they come from that thing we latched on to. Our thoughts and our feelings are actually part of a larger system And that system includes chemicals that course through our bodies, stored memories, neural connections in our heads, habits that we've developed, a whole construct of how human beings function and how human beings operate. A whole construct, and most of the time, it runs us. We don't run it. It runs us. And it runs us like automatons. Now, the word that we use for that interior construct, all that connected amalgamation of chemicals and neurons and thoughts and beliefs, we call that the ego or the ego self. Now, we would never buy the idea that we are most of the time robots. We would never buy that. We would never buy the concept that we are most of the time controlled by or driven by or subject to that construct. No. Because that's not how it feels to be inside of ourselves. It feels like our thoughts are independent thoughts. It feels like our feelings are real, independent things. We feel autonomous. We feel like we freely choose each moment of our lives. But that may not be the way it is to be human. It isn't. So because we are being run by. And because that doesn't fit into our self-perception, what it is like to be us, the construct, the ego, works really hard to stay cleverly hidden from us. We become the ones least likely to see that we ourselves are being run by our egos. So the ego does its best to simply be does its best to fool us into believing that we are whatever the ego says we are, that we are those thoughts, we are those emotional responses, all the while the ego bobbing and weaving and hiding so that it's saying to us, pay no attention to those chemicals and neurons that are behind the curtain, pay no attention to those thoughts and to those feelings, those are you, that's you, that's the real you, those thoughts, those feelings, those beliefs, those patterns. It's why the movie, The Matrix, has become a modern day myth for us. Because it tells us that our brains have fooled us. We feel like independent beings, but are in fact run by a system that exists inside of our heads and a system that exists inside of our bodies. But there is a red pill or a blue pill. I can't remember which one's the good one. (laughs) That's what the desert fathers and mothers went out to the desert to find. They went out to find the red pill. It's what our monastics protected for us in these cloistered communities for these 15 centuries. They held on to the red pill when we couldn't find it, we couldn't see it, we couldn't accept it because our worldview didn't match. And now our worldview matches. We understand we do live in an everything connected world. And what we couldn't hear then, we can hear now, there is a way to awaken from the construct. There is a way to be free of the ego as self. And one of the most potent tools that we have for that awakening is Lectio Divina. And especially that last movement in Latin, contemplatio, what we would call mindfulness. At one of our meditation steering group meetings, I asked everybody why they signed up. Why did you want to be part of this group? Uh, why, why were you drawn to that announcement? This is Julie. I'm putting her picture up. This is her directory picture because you know the pandemic. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of our folks in a long time. Well, that's Julie. So Julie talked about how she had eased into contemplative practice over time. She started very simply just dipping her toe in. That's kind of why the contemplative steering group decided on these five-minute meditations, because we want to give people an opportunity to just dip your toe in and get started. So over time, she began to build momentum in her life and deepened her practice because something she noticed. And she talked about how meditation had helped her become a better parent. Now, I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. But when she told her story, she used the term, my stuff. I want to talk a little bit about my stuff. That's a nice word. I might have said the same thing. The word I used might have started with S, but it wouldn't have been stuff. (laughs) So, you know, when we use that word, my stuff, we'd use it in a phrase like, oh, my stuff is coming up, or I've been triggered, or I have... When we're talking about my stuff, we're really talking about the construct. Because there's a thing about our stuff, the construct, the ego self, that collection of chemicals and neurons and stories and strategies, it always comes with a dark side. It always comes with a shadow side. Yes, it works. Nice will work. But nice will also keep you from setting healthy boundaries. And being in control will work but it will also dominate and hurt and damage. It always comes with a shadow side because the construct is not a big enough reality to contain the fullness of this mystery of being human. So it will always eventually break down. And when it does, the phrase that we use to talk about the breakdown is my stuff. The things I want to do, Paul says, that I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who Who will deliver me from my stuff. So here's what Julie said. She said, when I am steady in my meditation practice, I am much more likely to see my stuff come up as it's coming up. I am much more likely to see my stuff in the moment. And if I do, then I am much more likely to be able to choose to step back from it and to go a different way. I am much more likely to respond to my child with more wisdom and with more insight and with more patience and with more understanding because that's in there too. I don't just carry my stuff. I also carry what we would call the divine breath or the inner light. That's in there too. And when I'm steady in my practice, I'm much more likely to see things about my child, things I often miss when my mind is aflutter with my stuff when I'm under the influence of my thought-thinking patterns, when I'm under the influence of my emotional interpretations about uh, my emotional responses to the interpretations that I have to events, all that recurring stuff that happens all the time, all day, every day, I'm much more likely to be able to move beyond that and find the deeper parts of me when I'm steady in my practice. Well, good for Julie, but also good for a lot of us who have experienced that same thing we become steady in our meditative practice. And sure enough, we notice that over time, we, be, we are less distracted by thoughts. We are less distracted by feelings. We're less driven by them. I very much like the word Robin used when she talks about that. She talks about being compulsed by our type, being compulsed to act and think and respond the way that I always act and think and respond. Well, I think what happens is what we said during the meditation this morning. When we give full attention to our breath, we're not fighting against our thoughts. We're just leaving no room for them for the moments of our practice. Doing that begins a slow process of breaking the habit of depending upon, breaking the habit of always listening to, breaking the habit of always responding to our thoughts and to our emotional responses. And you might be like me. When I first sat down to begin meditative practice years ago, my thoughts would come surging up. They were just a powerful, powerful force. I thought I was just terrible at meditating because as soon as I'd sit down, my thoughts would go from being gentle features to a raging fire in my head feature. Later on, I realized, oh, that's what the ego self does. The ego self masquerades as me, the real me, and tells me, we, these thoughts and feelings, we are you. You can't shut us up. Why would you even try? The ego begins to say to us, don't rock the boat here, it's going to cost you system resources to try and stand outside of your thoughts, to try and stand outside of your emotions, become an observer of them, that's going to cost you, so don't, don't do it. Now here, here's an oldie but goodie, think about this for a little while. (laughs) Oh, that doesn't work? Okay, here's a good feeling. It's a strong one. Feel that for a little while. Stop rocking the boat. Stop doing the practice. You know what's going to happen. You're going to become less connected to us, less dependent upon us, and that'll be trouble. So in the early days of meditative practice, that thing was surging up inside of me. It was a fierce resistance. It was a compulsion. I felt it was so hard to just keep my butt in the chair. I just needed to stand up and I needed to go somewhere else, raging, go, do, think something. But here's the thing. If we do the practice, we simply focus on our breath. It is not hard. It is not difficult. It's just watching our thoughts, gently letting them go when we notice them, returning our focus to our breath. Now, what happened to Julie just happens. Some part of us starts to be able to stand outside of our stress, actually observe our stress, assess our stress, and make an informed decision about how we're going to react We see it, we assess it, we are not hijacked by it. Some part of us starts to be able to stand outside those same old thoughts, the ones that always come up, stand outside those same old emotional patterns, the ones that always come up, and we start to be able to see them. And when we do, and when we return to our breath, we begin to, over time, give them less power over us, less power to dominate us, less power to dictate the terms of our days. We become less compulsed by our type, by our thoughts, by our emotional patterns. And Lectio Divina, Visio Divina, especially that last movement, is one of the best tools that we have for weakening the hold that ego has over us weakening the hold that thoughts and feelings have over us. That the beliefs and the stories and the instincts and the patterns that we fiercely defend, they quit having so much power over us. And we begin to have options. We begin to become able to respond differently to our children and to our spouses and to our co-workers and our partners and our friends, to our worlds, because... Here's another insight that the desert fathers and mothers left us. They rediscovered a very ancient truth. We say at every service that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. We are, every one of us, carriers of divine breath. So yeah, we've got ego constructs in there. We've got fear and anger in there. But deeper through, the divine is in you. We could call it the Holy Spirit, the divine center. There is a part of us that is a whole lot better at being a friend, a whole lot better at being a parent, a whole lot better at being a coworker, a whole lot better at love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, a whole lot better. And so in the spiritual community, what we do for one another is we help one another. That's what the steering group is working on. We help one another actually do the thing. The thing that if we do it steadily over time is transformative in our lives. So I hope you will zoom in this week for the five-minute meditations. I hope you will when the next round happens and we do something more. I hope you'll participate because it's a first practice building consistency, but it's an important practice for steadiness. So 6.30 in the morning, 9.30 in the morning, you can find all the information on the website. Zoom in and then start your day. Again, I'm sitting with the uh, steering group. The hope is that you're going to finish thinking, boy, I'd like some more. Because if you finish thinking, boy, I'd like some more, (laughs) you're going to want some more. So in dwelling divine, may we have a stronger connection to the interior light, be less dominated by our ego selves, less dominated by our thoughts and by our feelings. May we do it together as a community. Amen. Well, if you would please prepare your offerings and everybody donates online now you go to our website at the top there's a button here's what i say every week i say that when we invest in community when we invest our time and our energy and our love when we invest our dollars here's what happens to the resources that we give the community then takes those resources amplifies them and gives them back to us because what we find is that creating this kind of thriving healthy community is how we are most deeply transformed. So uh, please do give online. uh, And um, in a moment, we're going to dismiss the live stream, folks. I do hope you'll work on the questions together. And you did hear the announcement about the 20th and the 27th. It's a pilot project. We'd like you to help us shape it, help us figure out how to do it and then how to do it better. Because our objective over the next year or two is to figure out how to do better at building friendships online. We've done a good job putting all of our existing groups into an online context. The problem is everybody there knew everybody before they got there. One of the things that's most challenging is creating spaces online where people can get to know one another. So we hope to do that better. We'd like you, if you're uh, in the UK, we'd like you to come help us. All right, if you would, let's put our hands on our hearts and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, they're in there because the light of the divine breath is in us. And then if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's in us already with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are going to form groups of five now. Here's how we're going to do it. We'd love to connect with you in real life, Common ThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life, CommonthreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you